Hi, hi, hello, once more. My name is still Trin and you are still listening to the Y Festival podcast. We have now arrived at our fourth and final episode in this mini-series. Today we are going to talk about intersectionality and our episode structure is going to be slightly different from uh, the regular or the other three ones that you have so far listened to. So at first we are still going to explain what is intersectionality. Sounds like a big scary word, is it? Why talking about it is important and how it can be seen or felt in our everyday lives. Then, as always, we have a brief interview with a facilitator from Vaibla, uh, from the summer festival that took place this summer. And for this episode, I interviewed the facilitator of a very interesting workshop that was held, Democracy Fitness Training. I took part of it myself. It was um, built up quite interestingly. And uh, I interviewed Ave Habakuk, who was the person who was our trainer, since it was a fitness training. And we also hear from Charlie, who took part in the workshop also, and what are his thoughts on how it felt and what went down. After that, we are going to hear from the Festival Y team. I have gathered up some voice memos of people who organized the festival, who are now organizing events online and basically who are the moving force behind Festival Y. So they are going to talk about um, why they joined, what is important to them and just going to be sharing their thoughts and we as listeners and participants can take a little peek behind the curtain. And then of course coming to a close I'm going to give you a brief summarized overview of what you can do, who you can support, and where to start doing that. So for the last time, let's get going. So what is intersectionality? When I first came upon the word, I have to say it sounded quite scary, uh, quite a big word, quite um, a difficult concept to understand. But as I dove more into it, it actually became quite clear. So intersectionality is basically the interconnected nature of social categorizations such as race, class and gender as they apply to a given individual or group regarded as creating overlapping and interdependent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. So basically... What it means is that nothing in this world exists in a vacuum. Everything is always affected by everything else in your life, in this world. And so all of these topics that we have covered here during the last three episodes also interconnect in different ways. And all these problems or these discriminations that we have talked about, all of them can affect one another, they can overlap and even accumulate in a person's life. Therefore, intersectionality can be seen as an analytical framework for understanding how different aspects of a person's 
social and political identities combine to create different modes of both discrimination and privilege in their lives. Examples of these aspects can be gender, can be sex, can be race, class, sexuality, religion, disability, physical appearance and even height. So intersectionality identifies multiple factors of both advantage and disadvantage. And these intersect and overlap in social identities and may be both empowering and oppressing. So intersectionality very, very heavily implies that there are two sides to each coin. And while one thing in your background can maybe give you some privilege, give you some uh, advantages in life, other things in your life can either take those advantages away or make you more vulnerable. So it's important to emphasize that um, that all of these different um, aspects can play together in some ways, they can overlap or they can maybe cancel each other out or so on and so forth. So everything is influenced by everything. Let's take an example. A black woman might face discrimination from a business that is not distinctly due to her race because the business, for example, does not discriminate against black men, nor distinctly due to her gender, because the business does not discriminate against white women, but due to a combination of those two factors. So both of the factors that she is both black and a woman makes her discriminated. Not only one, but the two in combination. Intersectionality also broadens the lens of um, the first and second waves of feminism, which largely focused on the experiences of women who were both white and middle class. And now they're trying to include the different experiences of women of color, women who are poor, immigrant women and other groups who are not necessarily only white and middle class. So intersectional feminism aims to separate itself from white feminism by acknowledging women's different experiences and identities that can play a very distinctive role in the types of injustices that they face, in the types of discriminations that they face, and in the types of problems that most impact their lives. Intersectionality itself is a qualitative analytical framework developed in the late 20th century that basically identifies how interlocking systems of power affect those who are most marginalized in society and takes these relationships into account when working to promote social and political equity. So in the first episode, we very broadly talked about social justice itself and mentioned many different um, categories of social injustices. So now intersectionality as a framework, is trying to take all of these different things into account, all of these differences that we as individuals have, and try to find the best solutions to reach equity from there. So basically what um, intersectionality opposes are analytical systems that treat each oppressive factor in isolations, as if the discrimination against uh, for example, again, black women could be explained away as only a simple sum of the discrimination against black men and the discrimination against white women, which is 
not the case because black women have a unique experience that is not just the sum of those two mentioned earlier. And they face different kinds of obstacles due to both categories that they belong to, black and woman. As with any big system, any big framework, um, intersectionality also has received criticism. For example, uh, it's being criticized um, for its tendency to reduce individuals to specific demographic factors. It has been criticized for its use as an ideological tool. Critics have also characterized the framework as somewhat ambiguous and lacking defined goals. And as intersectionality is based in standpoint theory, critics say that the very clear focus on only subjective experiences can lead to contradictions and the inability to identify common causes of oppression. And I think it's also important to bring out these criticisms because no theory is perfect and neither is any of these uh, four that we have talked about here, that we have mentioned here. Every theory has its um, flaws and that's okay because nothing can be perfect. The society cannot be perfect, but we can strive to be better. And I think intersectionality is a very good tool to view some of these discriminations, some of these forms of oppression, as, as I already mentioned, nothing exists in a vacuum only by themselves. So it would be wrong to only focus on one very specific aspect of discrimination or one very specific reason for discrimination, when in reality all of these play together into a person's everyday existence. So last time in the economic justice episode, we talked about a thought experiment called the veil of ignorance. And since I think thought experiments can be a good way to examine yourself and yourself as relating to the world around you, then today I don't have a fancy established thought experiment, but just something that um, I think would maybe benefit in understanding intersectionality as a concept. So let's play this out. Take yourself as an individual and write down or think about as many different specific categories or experiences that you have. When you have that list, or at least a part of that list, then think about how each and any of these things that you have written down affect you, whether or not they provide a privilege to you, whether or not they help you in your daily life, or they hinder you, or they hold you back. Are they an advantage? Are they a disadvantage? Do they make your life better? Do, it, do they make it easier? Do they make it more difficult? Do they make you vulnerable? Do they make you marginalized? Do they make you discriminated more or less in any way? So I didn't talk about um, my own perfect society last time, but uh, here I think it would be beneficial if I would explain this uh, thought experiment in a bit more detail. So I will talk about the only person I can talk about, and that is myself. So I am a female, which 
that I think can be viewed more as a disadvantage in my life due to many of the problems that we have also briefly mentioned here. So as a woman, I might experience the pay gap. I might um, be a subject to sexism due to my gender. I might get harassed or discriminated against because I am not a man. But I am white, which makes me definitely more privileged than any type of person of color. So that gives me an advantage in the world. It gives me privilege. It gives me better chances in some ways that um, people who are not white might not have. I am highly educated. So I have a degree from a university that makes me more privileged than those who have uh, lower educational qualifications as I do. It um, gives me an advantage over these people when trying to find a job or in any other way that I need to prove my credentials. I also come from a middle-class background. So while my parents weren't incredibly wealthy, we were still quite well off. I didn't have to experience hunger or or any other problems that um, people from a lower socioeconomical class might have to deal with. So that factor in my background is definitely an advantage, even though it cannot be seen as directly as some of the others, but it has definitely influenced my, my upbringing and the chances I have had as a child. For example, my parents because they were in the middle class, could, um, could sign me up for, for different after-school activities, such as art school, such as dance classes. If they had been of a lower socioeconomic class, they might not have been able to provide me with these experiences as a child. And those have now influenced the adult that I am. I also identify as an atheist, so I think that puts me on somewhat of a neutral ground but I do not get discriminated against because of my religion. I am also a member of the LGBTQ plus uh, community. I identify as a bisexual, therefore I might be discriminated against uh, based on that, but I am cisgendered, so that gives me privileges over trans people who are definitely at more of a disadvantage. I do not have any notable physical disabilities, but I do suffer from depression and anxiety. So while I am able-bodied, I still am at somewhat of a disadvantage due to my mental health. I would say my physical appearance is somewhat average. <laughs> this, uh, this one is quite uh, difficult to categorize yourself as saying like, yeah, I'm super beautiful, might be seen as vain, but but I definitely did not fall on my face as a child, so make of that what you will. I know for a fact that I have gotten some privileges or some uh, opportunities in my life due to my physical appearance. So even if I'm not classically beautiful, I am quite thin, and that and that definitely plays a role in our society. So yes, this was quite a detailed dive into me as a person, as your host. Glad we could manage that in the last episode. But I think any and all of these factors that I mentioned here, and also many more that I maybe did not think of, 
influenced the way that I experience this world, that I experience both privilege and discrimination. I have both advantages and disadvantages due to all of these factors. So I think as a thought experiment, the more different aspects, the more different factors about yourself that you can think of, you can start thinking of on how they either give you advantages or disadvantages and give you a better understanding of your own privileges or or the ways that you might be discriminated against. And knowing these things can better help you identify different kinds of problems that you yourself face in your everyday life and therefore how intersectionality comes into play as many of these categories or their influences overlap and that is exactly this overlap is exactly what intersectionality represents and is trying to understand and take into account. So now you are going to hear a short interview with the facilitator of the Democracy Fitness Workshop, Ave Habakuk. It was um, recorded uh, during the summer festival at Vaibla. And she will be explaining what exactly is this very interestingly named democracy fitness training and why it's important. Okay, so I'm here with uh, the facilitator of the democracy fitness training, Ave Habaguk. So, hi, nice to meet you. And um, first question would be, like, how did this idea came to be? This is... Uh, like democracy fitness training these words do not usually go together so where did uh, this idea come from so this idea comes from Denmark there's an NGO called Demokratie Senen mm-hmm. who have uh, 20 plus years of experience with uh, with working with uh, activism mm-hmm. and uh, this is their idea they've uh, they've kind of worked this program out together with uh, sociologists and uh, and uh, service designers mm-hmm. uh, to really find something that's that's engaging and and easy and and really makes you feel democracy in your body yeah okay so how long have you been doing this kind of things in Estonia then uh, so this w- uh, this training program was brought to Estonia by Arvamus Festival um, a bit more than a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I first uh, I first saw this training in, in Arvamus Festival last year um, and uh, was hooked by it immediately. I can see how it is very hooking. Like me just having uh, done my first session in this, it's like okay, I can see how this is like very beneficial in. Uh, promoting democracy. Uh, so why do you think this kind of training is uh, important for uh, for everyone? Um, I really think that to build a, a stronger democracy, everyone needs to kind of be aware uh, that they as citizens have, have rights, they can um, uh, change things. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's simply about well, can I really? And or where do I start? Mm-hmm. So this uh, democracy training program is it's a really nice and fun tool to to kind of tell people how to do these difficult things like forming an opinion or Mm -hmm. disagreeing with someone uh, which can be very scary at times so you get to practice it in a a fun environment and and next time you feel like you want to make change uh, you have the tools and kind of the experience to go for it okay okay so thank you and this was awesome thank you so very much and now a short reflection on the aforementioned workshop democracy fitness training and we are going to hear from Charlie. Okay, so we have just finished the workshop on democracy fitness training and I am here with Charlie. So how did you find this workshop? 
I thought it was interesting. I was actually, it was, there were multiple parts. I thought the most interesting actually was uh, the first one. Um, I was really kind of struck by this, this deep listening exercise was really kind of strange. I think even something as simple as just closing our eyes made it completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like as I was listening and as I was hearing my own story back and and then doing the same, it was kind of a, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a trance, but it was like, I just sort of was very present. Like I've Mm -hmm. kind of forgot that everything else was around and I was just like really focused and yeah, even just closing your eyes, I thought really added to that. So that was cool. I don't know. It was just a kind of normally when we listen to each other, there's other things going on Mm -hmm. um, and kind of, it was a, I thought that the the workshop format was really effective at kind of closing everything else out. Okay. And, and I was just, like, very present. And then I really felt that after we finished, it was like, oh, I just kind of sort of came out of that. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Okay. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So those were the recordings from the summer festival itself. And since we would not have had that very lovely and interesting and amazing festival without the people who made it happen. We are now going to hear some voice memos, some short uh, recordings uh, from the organizers themselves on why they think Festival Y is important and why they decided to join and what causes are the closest to their own hearts. Festival Y is a project that I came to know through my friend and during the process of creating it, I found new friends myself. Yet it is not the only reason why I am still participating in the activities of Festival Y. I think it is very important to bring organizations and activists together, bringing the social change in the Baltics. More solidarity for positive change together. I'm Karola and I'm the Estonian organizer. I joined the team a little bit differently as last uh, Christmas time when I was uh, in the Estonian Green Movement's Christmas party. I heard that they're looking for a project manager to manage the system reset project under what festival happened. And I felt that it's it was the right time to do something like that. And actually I didn't have any idea how I managed to organize festival or any ideas. But we did it and that's the most important. I see that climate justice is gathering all the other justices under it. As when uh, people who are living in developing uh, countries don't uh, even have at some point uh, home to stay, food to eat or have any kind of security, then how can we even talk about uh, economical justice or some kind of equal access to health or opportunities? Uh, That's why I also joined Fridays for Future Climate Strikes and started to bring the topic into people's awareness and mostly, firstly, to my own. In the end of last year, I learned about islands in Pacific Ocean. 
that really catched my eye and really seemed magnificent to me. Mostly because this island is called Tuvalu and is gonna be probably the first nation that is impacted by rising sea levels. They already have lost land and that's also because the average height of the island is less than uh, two meters above sea level. And now what the government is trying to do is to really make the three out of nine habitat uh, islands uh, more resilient to make the infrastructure stronger from the destructive waves and try to really keep the islands habitable as uh, long as possible. But they can't really concentrate of making giving equal opportunities for the people living there because at first they have to solve the problems how how to survive how to not drown. Hello, my name is Rahul and I joined the Festival Y team because I wanted to be part of something valuable and something that has an impact on the society. Living in Estonia, I also wanted to know what is happening all across Baltics. During the festival, I did several kinds of tasks. I was a volunteer, I was an organizer, I was a participant, but also I was a facilitator. I facilitated a workshop and which was very impactful and I also did uh, several other things. I made great friends and I wish that we continue this effort in our festival Y by organizing uh, webinars, seminars until we can be physical again. My name is Javilla and I'm a festival score organizer based in Lithuania. For the future, we're looking into establishing a horizontal supportive network of local and national groups, as well as individuals who are working on different issues, ranging from climate justice to feminism, to LGBT rights, to workers' rights. We're looking into starting up a participatory grant for these groups so they can access the money easier for uh, whatever their needs are. And we're also looking into providing various trainings. That could be trainings on fundraising, on social media, on intersectional organizing. The groups that will be part of this network will be able to decide this themselves. So basically, yeah, the 2021 is looking into us establishing a very strong support network where groups can exchange their knowledge, exchange their challenges, and we as the volunteers can support them in the ways we can. So a very big thanks to all the organizers who were willing to send in their voice memos, and also a very, very big thanks to all of those who didn't get the chance to speak today because each and every one of you is still important and you have done a very great job at organizing both the festival and all the online events that have taken place afterwards and are still going to take place in the future as well. So thank you again for that. And I myself wish you a ton of energy, a ton of motivation and many great ideas and awesome things in the future. So now our episode is coming to a close, as is usual. This is the place where I'm going to briefly mention again what are the ways that you yourself 
can help out, what you can do to combat these injustices in your own life and in a broader sense. First of all, as I have mentioned several, several times before, educate yourself. Read as much as you can about uh, different kinds of social justice topics, different kinds of inequalities that can take place. Know what can happen, know what takes place in the world. And if you have the energy, then also spread that knowledge. As I have also said before, you do not have to be anyone else's Google. And if you currently don't have the energy to talk to other people or promote these social justice ideas, then that's okay too. Work on yourself first, help yourself first. And then when you are feeling better, you can help out others. And specifically in the context of intersectionality, you can do the thought experiment that I mentioned earlier. List as many things as you can about yourself and use them to check your privileges and disadvantages that uh, basically you being you gives you in the world. You can also use uh, any kind of online list. Many, many quizzes and listicles are available. So I think if you Google the phrase check your privilege quiz or something like that, you can find a list of different things that might broaden your horizons on this topic. And coming from the last one, the next thing you can do is work on yourself. So as mentioned, educate yourself, but also use the platform that you have to make other voices more heard, to give voice to the people who otherwise wouldn't have it, to make space for the marginalized groups in the society and to bring more light to the causes that need it. Also, as mentioned in almost every episode to date, find some local non-profit organizations, find some local charities, some mutual aid groups that you can take part of and support with either your money or your time. Both are equally very important as most of these groups need both. They need the donations and they also need real physical people to help out sometimes with their daily tasks. So each and every episode, including this one, is going to have a list of different organizations in the Baltic countries that you can help out or support. So if you currently do not have a personal favorite as of yet, you can find some ideas or inspirations or just find great people who do great work near you using those lists. So this has been our fourth and last episode. I think if I ramble on any further, I will already repeat myself for the 700th time. So to save my time and you from listening to me, I'm going to wish you good luck on your social justice journeys. I hope that I have provided you with at least some new information or maybe some uh, starting points for your thoughts in these fields. I hope to meet you all someday in an event, hopefully soon also in the real world, but maybe a virtual one, maybe at a protest, maybe at a march, maybe at a celebration. I wish you well and I hope you have a truly lovely day. Take care. Bye.